Good morning, and this is Tavo DRC, Dr. T, coming to you from a Sabbath place. Getting in there with the Lord, being with Him today, taking off, casting all my cares. It's such a beautiful, restful spot. You know, when I think about fellowshipping with the saints, what we're getting ready to do is really, really teach cross-body unity, which is my brand that the Lord has given me, Ephesians 4, community that's diverse. And then we go through all the doctrines. We labor in the doctrines intentionally to defrag accusation, witch-watching, bias, gender bias, age bias, racism, uh, clearly Levitical critical accusation in Phariseeism of the modern-day minister. So we're going to be doing that because that's my field. God has brought me up with a long life of being experienced. My father was a Baptist pastor, and thank God for him in these days. He wasn't a charismatic. So therefore, I was not brought up under the critical Levitical laws, brought up carefully and nurtured by himself and my mother and my grandmothers who were Christians on both sides. And we just had this, I guess, a real peaceful, natural Christian existence that was not that was biblical, but not religious. It was not ornery. It was thoughtful. It was compassionate. It had a sense of humor. And that's what I want to keep it because I really love the memory of my dad who's up in heaven for many years, but his life speaks to me still for the peace and calm, the gentle wisdom, the joy and his fellowshipping and loving my mother as he loved himself, loving his family as he loved himself. And he took time off to recreate. That's another part. I believe that we're supposed to be like Jesus in Acts 10, 38. Jesus went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, and the Lord was with him. But then he took off to play with the children. He honored his mother. He was fellowshipping. He didn't take himself so seriously. In fact, one of my favorite pictures of Jesus as the office prophet, the apostle of the whole global movement, without a big ego, without big strain, is the difference in a prophet between the Old Testament, Hebrews 1 and 1 and 2, and it says in the old days, God spoke in diverse manners through his prophets to the leaders because nobody could invite the Messiah into their heart with the Holy Spirit that wasn't available then like it is now. So then in verse 2 of Hebrews 1, it says, but in these days, God speaks to us as a prophet through his son and his son. If you study Jesus carefully, you watch how he was a nurturer, how that he was a servant leader. He didn't take, like I said, he didn't take himself so seriously, but he also was one that went about being available, approachable. As someone said wisely years ago, uh, he had he was a shepherd with the scent of the sheep on his clothes. That didn't mean he didn't pull away because you can't get too close. People take advantage of you, wear you down. But he knew the difference as a prophet, that humility, that equal opportunity, real cross-body unity, that respect for all kinds of people, males and females equally, black and white and brown. Surely over there, there is plenty of multicultural diversity like there is now growing in America. Even the Roman soldiers, even the little children, if you read Jesus Christ, that's our ministry, our call, get everyone's attention to defrag accusation in leadership and in Christian life and ministry and family. It'll trickle out to society where we really need it. But you read Jesus through new eyes, new lenses, 
You just read him through the eyes of relationships, how he acted and reacted when he was alive on the earth in ministry, real life with his mother Mary as he went about doing good. And then act like Jesus, react like Jesus, even under pressure. You know, Jesus Christ, he wasn't afraid of the system, the religious system of what his own people thought. Instead, he tossed over a temple money changer system and made it a show of them openly, a prophetic sign, but he he never set up witch watchers. He wasn't a critic. He wasn't an august Roman patrician, though he had to deal with that proud aristocracy. He wasn't didn't allow it in his ministry. Plus, he was not white. He was not biased, but he was Middle Eastern. And if you study the culture back then, it was not like Hollywood <laughs> or like we would think he is today. So when I think of fellowshipping with the saints, God has revealed this to me. It was like there are two things to make it less ornery in Body of Christ ministry at the Grassroots Fellowship, more authentic, more organic to the New Testament, fellowshipping with the saints to repackage it emotionally. And what would be Isaiah 56, verse 7? And that would be the culture of the Sabbath. Not religious, not you got to do it or we'll stone you or we'll talk about you. That's that's the American way, though. But we're talking against that common body. Our, our brand is cross body, true unity, trying to preserve and keep from division. And we know about the common doctrines. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the father of us all, which means you can't have any other rules that even Paul said. Even fellowshipping with the saints, you can't make it a law that criticizes people if they don't do it. And that's what we're teaching a lot about, especially in 2021 on to get ready for revival, the renewal of the Lord in ministry. So we look back and we can, how can we repackage what's set in place? The Hebrews 10.25 historical role model through the years of black and white, mostly Western European heritage in a lot of places, the critical Levitical thinking, the stone throwing, the Phariseeism, the uh, fabulous success of the charismatic and the playtime ministry, that type of thing. So we're not, we're not going to be pitting the poor me ministry mantles. We're going to respect them. I respect them, but I'm going to teach against their doctrine. It's critical and it's crucial for our society and the future of the church. It is not like Mary is respected. It is not like Mary would be wanted in a lot of these places that are patriarchal. And that false teaching is wrong because it also affects, there are not many people that are dark-skinned in the same groups that are like this, basically. So we've got some uh, bones to pick, dry bones. <laughs> I'm not picking personalities. I'm saying these are dry bones that need to be delivered and reignited with the pure holy fear of the Lord. So Isaiah 56 verse 7 talks about the blessing that comes on people when they fellowship and take time apart to be with the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, that was a law that you had to do it. And the Jewish law, the Hebrew law said you do shut everything down from Friday night through Saturday. Don't even cook. Don't even have a bowel movement, they said. So it was very particular, very strict. <laughs> I don't know how they did that. But anyway, in modern days, we're not back under the law of the Christian community. So we take it as a 
as a teaching that has got value with the precepts that are in it. So when I look at how people look at the Levitical, they're using the law to criticize people and judge people if they don't go to church in the local community. I was there. That's what I saw. Not my father. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think the Baptists do it. These are all you know, prophetic or speaking in tongues kinds where I used to live many years ago. So that keeping watch that, uh, you know, it's like all these things going on gossip and accusation just for trying to be a Christian in your area can be really hard. We're trying to make it easier. Defrag the law, defrag the accusation, the critical spirit when it comes to Christianity without being PC or, you know, weak. So when I look at how to repackage it, I think, man, Paul wrote one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father is the hallmark of a real Christian. But that means that all the other precepts Paul taught, his commands, which are pretty hairy, sticklers in the eyes of some, that in me we're not accountable or responsible by God for them. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that God knows we each one have a different view, a different conviction, and also besetting sins. So I'm going to switch back over to Isaiah 11, excuse me, Isaiah 56, verse 7, where it talks about the fruit of the blessing in a fellowship when people are there from all nations, walks of life, in the fellowshipping of the saints of that day. In Isaiah, it says, those who, there's a blessing. God commands a blessing on those who keep a Sabbath apart unto him. And the Sabbath apart in these days, because we're not legalistic, and because of life in America and where around the world, you can't always take off Sundays. You might have to work to support your family to get food on the table. So in my opinion, I'm submitting this as my belief that you take a Sabbath, carve out a Sabbath day or a few hours every week, if you can. And if you're the head person, and the business, the buck stops with you or you're the mom or the dad in charge, the single parent. You know how hard that is, but you do your best and God will honor it. So there's a command to carve out time. It doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be the traditional Jewish law of Friday to Saturday unless God tells you. And you see, this is it. The tweak is he needs to tell you in your relationship. That's what's so cool about it. It's so free, so wonderful. Nobody can condemn you if God tells you and it really lines up with the Bible, unless you're a young kid and mom says don't do it and you're still on her turf under 18 or 21 or whatever it is, probably 18. So let's move on. So the fruit of fellowshipping with the saints is what we're wanting to repackage, the fruit of it the healthy fruit, the live growing fruit that's true. And we look at Isaiah 57 minus the law, just saying, oh yeah, I want to keep, I want to love God. I love God so much that I want to keep a Sabbath time apart with him. And I'm going to try to fellowship with friends, go to church, go to, you know, whatever temple or whatever, but I'm not going to be mean at anybody who doesn't do it like me. I'm not going to beat myself up if I can't make it for a few weeks. I'm going to let God lead me and I'm not going to be flaky or goofy or immature, but I'm going to do my best to really commit to helping them, serving them, praying for them, loving them and being there for the, for the Lord. 
So in Isaiah 57, verse 6, it says that those who keep the Sabbath, whether they're a eunuch, that means an impotent person who can't bear children, or a foreign person from another nation or a stranger, it says those people will be blessed and a blessing will come on everyone equally when they go to keep a Sabbath command to love on the Lord, to be with the Lord and fellowship with the saints for the right reasons. It says, I will take you to my holy mountain, says the Lord, Isaiah 56, verse 7. I'll take you to my holy mountain. I'll make you joyful in my house of prayer. Your burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, and my house will be a house of prayer for all people. So you can see it's going to be a place where you get revelation. It says, I will take you to my holy mountain. To me, that means that while you're there during the music, the teaching, the time with God in his presence, that you will be carried by a spiritual perception to a place where you touch the anointing. God comes on you in the anointing and you get revelation, an idea, a thought, a comfort, a peace that you didn't have before. And that's the wonderful thing about fellowshipping in a collective sense with many people his presence grows stronger if if the crowd is really true people that's why it's great to fellowship with the saints plus you know meeting friends and things but really being with god in a collective sense is powerful the corporate anointing is stronger than by yourself even though i myself The Lord, he can come on you in the car. He can come on you in the night. He can come on you in your sofa. The Lord is portable. I mean, it is great. So I'm for all of it, but let's try to do what he says he wants us to do. Fellowship. Iron sharpens iron. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. All right, back into Isaiah 57. It says, I will take you to my holy mountain. To me, that is like Moses went up to be with God on the mountain. He got the revelation and the gift free of the Ten Commandments. He got new ideas, new concepts, being with the Lord. To me, that is a symbolic of being with God. And you can carry that home, but it's great to do it in the corporate anointing. All right, so it says, I'll take you to my holy mountain while you fellowship. I'll make you joyful in my house of prayer. It won't be a chore to show up to go to church. It won't be a a chore to pray. It won't be a works thing. It'll be a joy thing and fruit will come. I'll make you joyful in my house of prayer. Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. All your PhDs, your pretty hard days, piled high and deep, all of those will be accepted unto the Lord as your offering to him. Isn't that amazing? All your sacrifices, all the private things you did, all the legal things you did, all the things you knew you were supposed to do because God said it wasn't really your desire to do it so much. And all the price you paid to do your raise your children well and responsible for the Lord, all these many multi-level things. All right, so I'll take you to my holy mountain. I'll make you joyful. In my house of prayer, your burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted at my altar and my house, his house, not the leader's house, not the overseer's house, the pastor's house. It's his house. God's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. That means everyone of every kind of language and background and tribe and nation will feel comfortable going to this kind of house, Jesus's house. 
It will go, we need a Hebrews 10.25, fellowship with the saints. It'll be accepting, equal opportunity, really respecting, abiding in James 3.17. All relationship fruit, no big eyes, no pet peoples, no respecter of persons, yet respect for all kinds of people. That is the hour we live in that's needed right now. That's what we want, God wants. It says it will be a house of prayer. That means it'll be a house of reverential, holy fear of the Lord. It will be perceptive and understanding, seeking God, a relationship with the Father, how to be mature, how to be pure in heart, how to get a word from the Lord, a kindness of the Lord, the compassion. They will not be compassion fatigued. So many things you can look at the great role model of heroes of uh Isaiah 56, verse 7, as another way of repackaging, rethinking fellowship with the saints in these days. Then you switch over to the person that is called to ministry, the office person, the junior office, the one that's a newbie growing, to, feels a call of God on his or her life. Isaiah 56 is one for the church, the fellowship. I have Isaiah 61 is for the minister. And so we'll talk about that in great depth before. If you just read that, it talks about the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's called me to preach the good news. And that's the thing. The spirit of the Lord has to be upon you with his anointing, with his gifts, with his instruction, with his humility, with the fruits of the spirit, with the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, and temperance, self-control, with the wisdom of God, which is represented by James 3.17, the wisdom of God that comes from above in the temple, God's temple plus your temple, the minister's temple, the speaker's temple, says the wisdom of God resembles pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality and without hypocrisy. Think on these things because those are the things that make or break a true fellowship, a true Hebrews 10, 25 experience. And if they're not there, it creates a friendly fire fellowship that Paul warns us of uh, from such turn away friendly fire fellowship that are accusers, boasters, lovers of themselves, etc. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. So we don't want that. We want to have not a minus, but a plus. We're trying to be focused on positive things, connecting people, connecting with God, connecting with ourselves, relationship issues, minimalized, nowhere to be found. Hebrews 10.25 is a organic Christ-following community that's committed, that does the work of the Lord, that takes up their cross and follows him daily and that they're for each other. They're for the body of Christ that resembles Isaiah 56, verse 7. The ministries, each one with a future call and a now call of Isaiah 61, and then the Ephesians 4, diverse body, walking in meekness and lowliness and long-suffering to preserve unity. That's Ephesians 4, the first couple of verses. And then it says they know about the they know about the common doctrine that people can have leeway to hear God for themselves, make mistakes and not be perfect, but they all try to do their best to their own conscience. 
in my opinion, when people have a doctrinal issue, because there really are a lot of them, including women, I know that, uh, a lot of things going on, their fellowship habits and all these doctrines and teachings and false doctrines, true and false. One reason they're false is because maybe you don't know that you're false and you're looking at them false. That's what I found. Maybe you don't know, they don't know that you're true because they're looking at you through false doctrine glasses. That has happened a lot. So therefore we teach there is such a thing as ignorance and cluelessness that we don't want to have with God's mercy. So we look at the corporate overview of what goes on. All right. It says if we train people, there are corporate, there are the, the doctrines of the church which are one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of us all, and that we all need to be on the same page, Ephesians 4, to make a transformed body of unity and harmony, which affects society. All right, that's one thing. But if you say, I, sa- I read that Paul said this, and you're not doing it, that's back in the Old Testament under the law, where it caused fault-finding. The fruit of error usually proves it's under the law because it's fault-finding and criticizing. There is a difference because people are that clueless and lack of discernment in ministry, Christians basically, in the TV media-affected age. There is a difference between contention, being a critic, and then saying something that is to correct and contend for the faith. My view of what I do is to assess fruit of doctrine through the relationships, through the fear of the Lord, through honoring your father and your mother and all those types of wonderful relationship things. And that is how I critique, not criticize. I do not condemn, but I do stand up and toss over a few temple money changers tables at the leading of the Lord to shake up the system the legalistic system that's a prisoner of its own self. And then I point out there is a difference between 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, my own Bible call from my very first in the 80s on about that the Bible is profitable for instruction, for doctrine, for reproof and correction so that The man and woman of God, the human of God, will be thoroughly furnished. And you want to be thoroughly furnished. That's why you got to do it all, not just have instruction and doctrine. You got to have right doctrine and you got to have, can't have poor me doctrine, but you got to have true doctrine, even if it is reproving, even if it corrects and it doesn't feel fun. It isn't always cheerful. How does that, how is that biblical? They say, all right. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's Proverbs. Faithful are the wounds of the friend. Fear of man brings a snare. Psalm 29:25. A lot of these things are because people don't want to be troubled. They don't want to do anything they don't really want to do. They got skill to twist the Bible like they want to do it. So I'm just saying it and put it out there for your in the fear of the Lord for you to get it right, or it's up to you and the Lord, I'm not responsible. So we're looking to make Jesus' houses more safe and friendly and welcoming and multicultural and honor our father and mother in the house, as well as our honor the mothers and the fathers outside of the house in real life, males and females equal. 
All right, there's a difference between chain of command and being putting someone under control through the law. And that's a whole other story about males and females. So the issue is nobody owns anybody. God is the only one who owns them, but there are there is chain of command, and some people need to be taught more strictly than others, but without using them, abusing them, or accusing them, which is control. Let's see, where were we on this? So we're looking at the wisdom of God in the temple, and it will come out with the relationship fruit that's pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. When you look at that, that's a great discernment test. Can I live like that? With God's help, I can do better at it. I'm never going to be perfect. I hope I can be pretty perfect, but I'm not. I try my best all my life. When you are James 3.17 in a relationship and trouble comes, that's why you need the Lord. You just go to the Lord and say, man, I feel terrible. I feel like getting mad, saying something I shouldn't, kicking them in the shins, you know, minding my, their business, all these things that happen with real relationships. So it's about God and the person being responsible in the fear of the Lord. This thing also, James 3.17, when everybody acts James 3.17 fruit all the time with God's help, it produces E-O-R-R automatically. Equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image. Males and females, black, brown, tan, every race, every nation, inside the church, four walls, outside. And that is why, you know, when I lived before this area right here, I was, I found for the first time in my life, the most awful culture of Christianity I had ever been around. I'd never been known anything like that in my many decades before I found this culture. It was so ornery. It was so unrespectful. It's sort of white, very white, but I couldn't believe it. And it was like, we're rich. We have need of nothing. It was the most off. It was just no fear. It was just discouraging. It was really was. So what I found was that relationships were devalued. They were dismissed. They were, uh, you know, one will come, 30 more will take their place. One will go when, you know, not valued. So the low respect got my attention. It was a huge flag because it devalued. Also, we know before COVID, how much the divorce rate in Christians had grown, it skyrocketed. And that that one by one puzzle pieces and clues came to get my attention like red flags. It's not about our belief for our money and making it big showbiz because of all the TV media effects in society and in a church. It is about the holy fear of the Lord a one-on-one relationship with him, a first love lampstand, our first love, and not becoming compassion fatigue toward the other people in our life and in the ministry. So many things came up. You look at Ephesians, the church of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, it's amazing pre-Christian, multicultural, big, deep work. But then what happened? What happened to these hardworking 
Ephesians ministers that by the time the book of Revelation is given to John, the apostle on the Isle of Patmos, that the first book that God rebukes, the first church, is the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 through 8. What happened? He says, you have lost your first love. It used to be me. Now you're getting your happy joy from being with each other with do you know making these hard works and getting you know achievement and i was looked at what i was seeing the babylonian ministry which i never would have called anybody babylon babylon ministry until that time and i haven't since these are the christians and i went whoa like prophet daniel and carried away to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom in Babylon. That's how I felt at the time. Psalm 137. Whoa, whoa, sing the Lord's song. How can I? How can I? I was feeling. I'm captive in a strange land like I've never seen the egos. I've never seen the misogyny. I've never seen the disrespect. I've never seen the turmoil among people not wanting to go to church. I've never seen the racism, bias, chauvinism. I'd never seen anything like it. And the lack of love and the materialism and all the wealth. I never saw a thing. And I got out and the egos. One thing is I have a, I don't know why. I don't know how, but coming down through my mother's side, there is female authority and men were the head of the home, but it worked. And whatever's on me and in me by the Lord, which was not under the law, triggers the giant ego it triggers in the good old boy and i get withstood by the patriot the whelp patriarchs i have no clue except it's on me and i don't think of myself all i know is i'm a deborah i'm an office deborah and they are white the only ones that are doing it ever are white not black they can handle it and so i have a spirit of might and i'm a prophet but I'm very uh, down-to-earth and tame and reasonable. And James 3.17, fruit. That's one reason I teach James 3.17. I've been diagnosed by these horrible doctrines, false doctrines, accusing me from afar because they have no fear of the Lord. And I have to teach, don't accuse your strange, the stranger, the male or female that comes in. It could be an angel unaware. It could be your deliverer, which I am. It could be the one that God has sent you, and instead you accuse them by your false doctrine. You are duped like Isaiah, some of you, many of you, a few of you. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, the national word to the prophets and the leaders of God's people. It's because of you that I'm, my Holy Spirit anointing is being blocked. That's Isaiah 10, verse 27, from the national Assyrians who are trying to take them over and wipe their culture out. He says, because of you and your little G gods, your false doctrine and your vanity, that's Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, you're blocking the anointing. And also Isaiah 11, 5, 20, now you call good evil and you call evil good. That's big right now. How can you call somebody evil? Let's say a charismatic church. How can you call somebody evil, good, evil, and evil, good? You never talk to them. You just judge them by their spectral energy, their energy. And you think they look, they're a witch. 
there is a witch, if I ever saw one, but you don't speak to them, you don't know them. All you're doing is criticizing them and using prophetic false doctrine. If there are a witch, you can assess them, but don't accuse them and don't mock them. God is holding you responsible because see, that's how they say, all right, I'm calling somebody who's innocent. James 3.17, they might look tired. They may look like they've had a hard time, which I had had and many people have had. Or maybe they're just biased, which I'm not. And I do have a more diverse, we, we global side. Usually these people like that are we centric. But whatever it is, you don't call somebody you've never met evil. And you don't go, you know spread the rumor around. Of course, you know what? I do have joy and most of these don't. So maybe that's a big deal. They don't understand real joy and freedom of an untamed loving person. So I just learned what goes on for me to teach and train to spare them and people from being feeling bad if that happens to them and feeling blamed. So you don't want to call good evil. God is going to judge you. <laughs> and how does it, how can that be they call evil good? Well, to sit there and say it's okay to criticize and accuse a stranger, a female, a single mom, a single parent, a single dad, a black person, and you never speak to them. Instead, you're the opposite. You try to control them by withstanding them and blocking them from being, you're not even, you know, avoiding them. That is twisted, twisted ministry. And that is everywhere. It's a lot of places in the prophetic in the Holy Spirit movements too often. Not all of them, though. Hallelujah. Not all of them. I don't feel Word of Faith does that. That's one thing I think is so positive about Word of Faith. If you keep it in balance, if you really know the Lord and the Holy Fear of the Lord and, you know, get a balance on that, I think they do not have that fear of women. They do not have a Jezebel, dark, dire, seeing demons, unless... Their ministers have hung around with that kind and their buddies, which I've seen that happen, and they start getting that pollution. The yeast of the Pharisees comes on them, the dark pollution of false teaching. That can happen even on Baptists, because I was in a place where the Baptists were nice, the nicest. But when the teaching started to circulate amongst the ministers, they're fellowshipping together keeping watch over who did not go to church and who did church hopping false teaching started to get big and that see the fruit of false teaching is accusation get it down the fruit of most false teaching is accusation it's not just sharing information it's not just assessing oh i don't think they go to church wonder what's wrong let me go ask them let me go love on them and maybe they'll want to come no it is instead far off character assassination accusation, rumors, and gossip, which is like the devil himself. And that is why, because I have been, God allowed me, this woman, this person, I'm a human first. I'm a human first. This person has had great favor with pastors and leaders where I was invited as a much younger minister to be with pastors and leaders and found prayer moves in my former state as also be amongst them in cross-denominational, cross-racial prayer and repentance. I've done this my whole life until I can't find it. <laughs> until I went to the Deep South where 
to my knowledge, it never existed. So therefore, we just teach and we are stirring up intentional, you know, hornets to get people thinking, am I angry at you? No. Am I angry at false teaching? Yes. Am I angry like Jesus Christ tossing over the temple money changers tables because of the zeal for his father's house? Yes, that explains it. So I'm teaching not criticism. I'm teaching assessment. I'm not teaching condemnation. I'm thinking it's contending for the faith. So there is a real church that people can really know who Jesus is and what it's all about and make it to heaven. That's why I'm doing it. I'll be honest, that's exactly why I'm doing it. Is it making me tons of friends in the ministry as it is? No, not at all. Is it making me big bucks, tons of fans? No, not at all. But do I care? No, I feel joyful. I feel purely joyful. And I feel godly content like I've never felt in my life. And I think of my dad, who's with the Lord up in heaven. I think of him, and I just think he was like Jesus. He went about doing good, quietly, unsung, loving my mom as Christ of the church, a hero, but nobody would know it. He was the cook. He grilled because mom couldn't cook. And it was just like down-to-earth servanthood. And that is why I keep on going. That is why I am here today. There are other tons of people that you never hear of that are Christians living just like that, in the process, making progress for the Lord that nobody knows about. I am here for you, and I admire you and respect you, and God values you, and so do I. It is so tough trying to be in ministry where they're critical, hard, tough, no love. They don't know what love is. Not respectful. It is so awful, the spiritual warfare from Christians. It is so unfragrant. It is not the Rose of Sharon. It is stead. It is Pepe Le Pew. It stinks. It really does. Therefore, I'm not in the system. And I don't want to be in the system. I've assessed the system, and there's something really wrong with the doctrines that are producing this in a mass quantity around America, and it's TV-affected. A lot of it is manipulation. A lot of it is false teaching gone to people's heads. A lot of it, too much, has Roman patricianism. Roman patricianism mixed with it, which is elevated ministry, aristocracy, and the pomp and circumstances of hierarchy, which keep people under control, or it's like prison to me. The demanded rules, the people-pleasing, and the false pretension is so unapproachable, yet if I go out in certain groups, it is unavoidable. And I never knew how big it was till I moved even up here. Some places up here, not, you know, I haven't been that here that long, but a year. But I think, man, I was so disappointed. I get so sad because all I want to do is love Jesus. All I want to do is fellowship with the saints. All I want to do is be there and hear from the Lord and get away from my own ministry to take off. That's what I believe in, fellowshipping with the saints. It's like, being in a nobody it's not being a club at all it's being in a community that you can go because you know brother or sister's so-and-so's church is like that some days you need like that and you take off and go get 
the energy back, the blessing or the prayer, whatever their special field is. And maybe they got more rhythm and more joy at another kind of church that maybe has black skin. And you think, man, I could use that. I need that re-energizing, that fire again. I want to just take my brain off and fellowship with the saints and be in the presence of God and rocking and rolling. You don't know. So that's why I teach cross. That's why God has given me cross body, true unity. It is not a sin to go to more than one church. Don't be flaky. Don't be crazy. Commit where God is sending you, but don't please people. There's it's false teaching to say that you cannot go to but one kind of church or one church. When I was uh, married, I wish I would. I wish that in that little small town area, I understood that you know sometimes the husband doesn't go for too much. You know, just doesn't want to. He'll barely go to church, and you want him to go, and for the children's sake. And so that is why you go with whatever church he'll go to. And I was always under pressure and a lot of warfare because I knew the Holy Spirit had a real call. And I was trying to be the submitted wife, and I realized that a lot of it, in hindsight, men go with the go with the husband where he'll go, but then you can go anywhere else where you need to go to get your fellowship to get your needs met because it is hell sometimes in life. And so I was doing that, you know, I wasn't that legalistic growing up, but then the all the movements came into town that were patriarchal, watching everybody, keeping tabs and rumoring and gossiping. Ode to Whelp at the top of online fellowship.us is the fruit of that. That's what I saw in many people, 30 people at one point. So we're trying to right now stir up the hornet. We're stirring up the religious Pharisee hornet to say, check your doctrines. Check your white witch watching doctrines. Check your self, you know, poor me victim doctrines at the door all your pop psychology fix them fast psychology let's just you know because it avoids relationship it's like oh yeah let's fix them uh we're now you know we're junior dr phil's we've been trained through our pop psychology and ministry course so that everybody that comes across that's been brokenhearted raped grieving the loss of a mate forced to divorce been through hell and high water. Oh no, it's their fault. It is your fault. We say so. You need to be fixed because you're broken and you should be ashamed because you are, you have unforgiveness baggage. You're overly emotional. That is too much of that right now in certain groups. And they're all, hate to say it, that's usually a whelp kind of ministry. I'm for inner healing. I'm for people that say, you know, I can go and pray and get prayer counsel. That's a balance in that. But when you get some of these formula type things, that's why I'm pointing it out. Because where I used to live, it was no Jesus wept. It was no weep with those with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. No, that's too time-consuming, energy-draining and depleting. So instead, they had developed a mass quantity across the area, the white area of the pop psychology, fix them, I call them fix them fast class. Diagnose them, don't spend time, look down on them. It's, you know, if they're younger, they've never been around big painful experiences many times some have of course but 
the ones that are diagnosed and usually have it. <laughs> and that is a red flag, a big red flag for the purity of heart of the old Tommy church, the fellowship of the saints where people actually loved you and spent time and had compassion. And it wasn't a poor me ministry, poor me. They're coming to take from me. They're coming to take from my time. They're coming to take from my life, you know, and I have wells of knowledge. I'm so book trained. I'm so wells of knowledge with our experience and our great gifting that now, you know, they're just dime a dozen and devalued because, you know, they're just broken. They just need to be fixed. And we are the fixers because we know it. We graduated from the five week course. And so I'm being very tough. And I'm very, very pointed because it is, if you have been through hell, you don't, you know, and you, and you're a smart person and you're, and you're a prophetic person, you're going to know that these people are clueless and it's a sad thing. Not all of them are different groups are better than others. Some are, and they're pure in heart. It's just that this easy, greasy, fix them fast is out there, but the Holy Spirit is absent. Deep things of God. And my field is deep things, joyful deep things, many perspectives. You know, for me, I grew up with compassion, and I'm a compassionate person, a mercy person, but smart, you know, try to be balanced. But sometimes my healing of grief is by someone saying, I got it, I understand you, that empathy, compassion, all I needed is somebody to say, it's going to be okay. That's usually my kind. I don't need deep counsel. I don't need therapy. I need to either get with the Lord and enjoy myself in the presence of God, hear the word of the Lord, and or have a friend who understands. A friend loves at all times. A friend, whether you are ministered to other people in, that are friends of Jesus, you're supposed to be sort of like their friend. All right, a friend of Jesus loves at all times. Love means relate. Love means respect. Love means no big I, no little you peons. Love means you're not a bother. We're not going to judge you and accuse you of being overly emotional because you lost your mate. We're not going to beat you down because you've already been beaten down by calling you it's your fault if you went through abuse and forgave him or her. So I have been around. The Lord has allowed me grace to make it this far to train and help people for a future church. This is for the future church to be preserved, that we can do it. It can happen. But let's just modify and go through our life and see what's real, what's imaginary, what's Dr. Phil, what's false teaching, what's true teaching, what's supernatural, what's natural, what's kooky, and what's really out of Old Testament patriarchal dominating matriarchal law. And that is my thing. Matriarchal, patriarchal, back under the law, accuses. It witch watches. It is, it blame shifts. If it has to do with the accuser, I've researched this. The only time the accuser is mentioned is never God, the Father, or Jesus. 
It is not supposed to be in the church. The only time the accuser is mentioned is in Genesis 3 in the gender of a male, a male. And the other time is Revelation 12, 7 through 11, the history of Jesus, why he came. It was to overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb, overcome him, it says. People leave that him out all the time. They overcame him. That's us, the church. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. And they love not their life under death. Jesus gave them the strength to overcome him. Notice it's in the gender of a male. The authority figure is mostly a male. Fathers, pastors, historically, parents, prophets, preachers. So we, And potentates. Potentates. So we want to go through our theology and defrag accusation, legalism, because it creates accusation. We want to go through and now say we have overcome. Here's why when we feel tempted to accuse, we don't have to. We have the power through Jesus Christ because he lives in our heart and he can give us self-control not to do it. He can give us better ways instead of feeling like a victim. So we have to witch watch all the time. We can have more power of his might. That's Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. The seven spirits of God. I recommend everyone who's a legalist and everybody else, males and females, read that. Ask God for more. He's done that for all of us. We just don't know about it. When we have to go back and accuse and berate and jump people and gossip, accusing is gossip, false teaching and accusing is gossip. Accusing equals false teaching because you don't know if it's true or false. It's a rumor. It's a lie. All right. It's not verified. It is accuser, accuser of the brethren, mother and leader and or fellow Christian or person who's black person, white person, whomever. So we want to defrag it because it says that's the thing is right in the New Testament. It says the church long time ago on the Isle of Patmos, John, the prophet, the apostle, the revelator himself got a vision of the future church, which is us, which needs to be us, the Christians, us. They overcame him. Who's him? Satan, the deceiver, the accuser, the liar. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and their love, not their life and their death. They're willing to go and almost, with God's help, resist accusing and browbeating and hurting people and all these fault-finding things and gossiping. They would almost shed drops of blood. I don't know if they really would, but it's like they would go so far to keep their self-control to be a good witness. This teaching also, and I'm grateful for God for the joy I have in this. I really am. That on the other hand, when people accuse them and witch watch them and say unjust things that accuse and gossip about them and call them all sorts of horrible names, invectives, Unfairly, they would have the strength to forgive and get over it and go to God for that as well. So we just don't know our turf. I don't think we really know our leadership turf right now. And so we are here to bring it out, give you scriptures to think about and submit it as a sila with great respect to the body of Christ, males and females, because the Bible teaches me that through Christ, I've already overcome the accuser. I've already overcome by grace. 
Not because I'm a super saint, I'm not, but by grace and mercy and knowing the word of God, knowing that this is already there in the Bible, that we've already proven that we've won over the accuser. Listen, I've had horrible things. I've had people really try to do evil to me and really hurt me. But because I know better, I have an eternal perspective. We're not always going to be here. I know that God is good, and I know so many other things that are quality. I thought, man, my joy is in the Lord. My esteem is in the Lord. My grace is in the Lord. It's so he's forgiven me. I have great joy. And if anything, out of money, I'd love to have it. I'd like to have more. But you know what? When I haven't got it, my esteem is not affected. It's the joy of the Lord. And I want to say God is so good. I've had many things, but because of God's goodness, he's not let me feel sad or a victim. I really have plenty. I really have plenty in the Lord. But then what happened really was people came after, you know, things, crooks and personalities and um, people that were believing false teaching and uh, liars, different things that went on. But it only made me grow up and be more discerning and more feeling like, man, you know, this, I'm just experiencing what people have been through for decades in, in you know, all in, in America and around the third world nations. And it doesn't bother me only because of grace and knowing God's eternal perspective. And I just thank God for the joy. I thank God in all things, not for all things. And it is his joy and his peace and his Holy Spirit power. It is amazing, the Holy Spirit power of one by yourself and with a few people. It is just amazing. I cannot tell you. And he's given me grace like the prophet Elijah to speak about it. He's given me grace to be a prophet to give him glory and praise in all of this and to honor him and the Holy Spirit and my father and my mother and all the good Christians who are truly living the life and are the real deal. And I honor you and so does the Lord. God bless you. And this is Tavo DRC signing off for now from the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship. If you need to connect, just write dfwleader at gmail.com. And then I'm in the Charlotte region getting ready for our offices in Rock Hill and up in, up to Charlotte and South Park, anywhere in between. But we're on call and we're on call to be neighborly. And if you're ornery, don't bother calling. But and if you're not, please feel free. We'll te- you know discuss iron sharpens iron races and worship, whatever God wants us to discuss or just be glad to pray for you. So I'm going to sign off for now. God bless you. Bye bye.